Hello you and welcome to the My Broadcast podcast with me, your host, Laura Mann. In this series, I am joined by a bevy of brilliant babes to talk all things metastatic breast cancer, getting into the nitty gritty of the challenging topics that we need to be speaking about, but we often don't. In today's episode, I'm overjoyed to be joined by the wonderful Lisa Fleming to chat all things metastatic breast cancer and mental health. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and we'd love to hear from you. So give us a shout and let us know what you're thinking using hashtag mybroadcast on Instagram. So let's welcome our guest. It's the wonderful Lisa Fleming. Hello, darling. How are you? Hello, lovely. I'm good. Let's introduce our listeners to you because obviously I know a lot about you and the wonderful work that you do in the metastatic breast cancer community. But do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about you and your um, metastatic breast cancer experience this far? Yeah, of course. So I was diagnosed back in 2017, which seems like an eternity ago um, in some ways, even though it was only three and a half years ago. I was diagnosed what they call de novo, which is with um, primary and secondary at the same time. So I didn't have a primary diagnosis. I was diagnosed on the Monday with primary And when you're diagnosed with primary, obviously you're given a full body scan to establish if it has spread elsewhere. And in my case, 48 hours later, I got those results and I was told that it spread to every bone in my body, um, including my skull, which was quite a bolt out of the blue. Um, You know, to be diagnosed with breast cancer is horrendous enough. And I don't think I'd even had time to process that yet. But then to be told 48 hours later that I not only had breast cancer, but I had metastatic breast cancer, which therefore meant that it was incurable. That was something that I still struggle to find the words to describe that feeling. Um, so I I started on a roller coaster and that's still how I describe it to this day, because I think the journey is just constant ups and downs. And it's taken me a long time to learn how to live with metastatic breast cancer. Can I ask how long ago that was? So how long have you been living with it? So three and a half years, um, which if you look at the statistics, which I don't like looking at um, Mm. because I think everybody's different and, you know, we're all individual. Um, I agree. I agree. I often say statistics are statistics. People are people. Like, you've got to stop seeing, you know, there's people behind the statistics and we're not statistics. You know what I mean? So I'm going to that one, Lisa. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, to be still here three and a half years down the line when I was diagnosed I was told that I would potentially not make that Christmas um, and I've had a lot of work done in terms of surgeries um, so when I was initially diagnosed the cancer had actually eaten a bone in my neck and in my spine so I had a broken neck at the point of diagnosis wow. which is why I was in quite a lot of pain mm. so I was hospitalized for a month at that point of diagnosis um and that was a time that when I look back it almost feels like it didn't happen to me I feel like I'm kind of looking back on Mm. you know this girl um and to look at where I've come now especially in terms of my mental health journey Mm. which we're going to talk about today you know it's been there's been a lot of different elements to it um so really hoping that today we can open up the conversation and you know let people know that it's okay to not be okay and to Mm. you know talk openly about mental health I think that's a brilliant idea because I just mental health 
But when people hear cancer, don't they? And especially metastatic, so living with a disease long term, a chronic illness, basically. Yeah. Um, people, you know, they don't realize that alongside, it's not just you getting through um, in terms of living for longer and getting through in terms of different treatments or whatever you may be going through. It's actually mental health wise, getting your head into a place that you're able to cope and manage because there are so many facets to this, aren't there? Yeah. Um, before we delve into the mental health, so I just wanted to talk to you a bit about what you do with Make Seconds Count because you not only did you go and get yourself diagnosed with metastatic <laughs> breast cancer, Lisa Fleming, you also started up a charity. I did, yeah. Can <laughs> you tell us a little bit about that? I think it's fantastic. Yeah, um, I think everybody still thinks I'm a little bit crazy. So when I was diagnosed, as I mentioned, I was hospitalised for a month, pretty much the week after I was diagnosed. So I had a lot of time to think at that point. And I'd never heard of secondary or metastatic breast cancer at that time. I'd obviously heard of primary. There's a lot about primary in the media and, you know, we are educated about primary um, quite a lot, which is fantastic. But I'd never heard of secondaries and neither had any of my friends or family members. And I'd like to think we're a relatively educated bunch. So it just blew my mind as to why I'd never heard anything about metastatic disease. So I used that time in hospital to do a lot of reading um, I turned to, you know, Dr. Internet, as we all do. Um, mm. And that's a dangerous place to be. It and, is, yeah. you know, I just felt there wasn't enough information out there on metastatic disease. There are a lot of fantastic, you know, charities doing a lot of work within the breast cancer field. But I felt like there was this gap in terms of somebody that was out there focusing on metastatic disease, not only on raising awareness of it, but also trying to fund research because without research, we're not going to find a cure. Mm -hmm. And that's what triggered me to decide, oh, do you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to set up a charity. And I remember sitting in my chemo chair and saying to my husband, I think we should do it. You know, my background was sales and marketing and events and my husband's a, a lawyer and deals a lot with charity law. So it just seemed like the right fit, which seems crazy when, you know, I was just embarking on severe IV chemo. I was really poorly, but I wanted to turn this negative into a positive and make seconds count organically started to grow over those next few months I would spend my time in the chemo unit which pretty much was you know my entire life at mm. that point working away and then we launched the charity officially in the May of 2018 so it was on my one year cancerversary mm -hmm. that we launched it so yeah we've been going two and a half years now and I think we've raised the last count over 600,000 in <gasps> two and a half years whoa yeah. there's me with girl versus cancer going phrased a cool 77 grand in the last three four years and you're like yeah just i'll see you i'll see you that low and i'll raise you six hundred thousand pounds yeah that's incredible my love that really crazy. really is but it just goes to show the need you know yeah. like there is a there is a huge need and like as you said quite rightly there is a lot of talk about primary cancer because we know that early detection is the best form of prevention uh, and like saving lives. However, just because 
you know, it may not have been caught early doesn't mean we don't need to get that research out mm. there. So I think the work you're doing is so incredibly important because it is the future. You know, this is what's going to save a lot more lives. So a massive mm. round of applause to you, young lady, oh. for everything you're doing. I think you're fantastic. Thank um, you. Let's circle back then and talk about, you know, this is all about our mental health. And I just would be really interested to hear from you, like pre-cancer, um, how was your mental health? Um, you know, we're, uh, yeah, talk to me a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, I think since being a teenager, mental health's always been something that I have, I don't like the phrase battled with, but I've had to learn to live with. Um, So I was diagnosed with endometriosis when I was 19, Mm -hmm. which I know that you can relate to that. Yeah, I've had it. Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. And that really, you know, through those, kind of late teenage years to be living with that really had a impact on my mental health in terms of my anxiety, depression and just how to deal with having a chronic illness um, let alone you know I didn't know at that point obviously what was going to happen when I got into my 30s with my cancer diagnosis. So it is something that I think I've always had to adapt to living with. I've had to accept that my mental health has been one of those things that it has been a challenge. And I think it's impacted a lot of different aspects of my life from, you know, relationships with friends to family relationships to, you know, my marriage. Um, And not all in a negative way. Um, It's just taken a bit of time to, I suppose, be at peace with, me and accept that life has dealt cards that I'm not particularly cool with <laughs> you know that's one way yeah. of putting it but I've had to work out ways to manage my mental health to allow me to live the best possible life and I don't think that kind of evolution will ever stop because there's always going to be things that are thrown at me and I've just had to learn how to deal with them and Mm. not to beat myself up over it I think I was really guilty of that when I was younger if you know this is my fault and Mm. you know I shouldn't shouldn't be feeling like this when actually you have to learn to accept that you know with mental health Mm. we can't control it some you know that it's a mental health issue that you know, we need to seek help in whatever form that you decide. So, it's yeah. It's so true. And I I think it's really refreshing in this day and age as well that we're able to talk so openly about our yeah. mental health. Like, I remember in my mid-20s when I, like, I was I, I was diagnosed with severe anxiety, depression then. Mm. And I was carrying that around with me probably since I was, like, 16. Yeah. And now it's amazing in the last, like, 10 to 12 years how we have come on in leaps and bounds in regards to how we talk about mental health. So, you know, as someone similar to yourself who who had mental health struggles prior to a diagnosis, you almost feel like you have some, not all, because it's a completely different kettle of fish, coping mechanisms in place. So I can relate to that for sure. Um, How did, you know, what was the difference then, you know, of having the mental health, um, you know, issues or or things going on pre-cancer? How did the metastatic breast cancer diagnosis in particular, in what ways did that impact your mental health? And you know, and what coping mechanisms did you already have in your armour that you were able to use and you found useful? I think, to be totally honest, when I was first diagnosed, I just turned to 
a kind of feeling of loss and I've started to grieve for a life that I hadn't lost yet if that makes sense I just went into a really dark place um I mean my nurses and I laugh about it now so obviously when I was in for that month I got to build relationships with them yeah, but I wouldn't open the curtains in my bedroom within the hospital my husband I had a black pillow that he used to bring in from home it was this black satin pillow but everything around me was dark because that's how I felt I just felt that having that diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer that was it what was the point and for me I'm really blessed that I'm a mum and I had a point, you know, I looked at my little boy and he would come in to visit me every day with my husband and he was only four at that point when I was diagnosed and I'll never forget, um, I came out of having one of my operations which they'd actually had to cut my neck open which you know oh it, my. yeah I mean I, I've got a scar like Frankenstein what was uh, that was that for the bone surgery that was, or was it lymph yeah, nodes no okay. no that was bone so that was okay. um because I had a broken neck they had to mm-hmm. basically put lots of metal in to stabilize it um so so are you a bionic woman now Lisa, I am I am apparently yeah you should um you ever travel with me and we go through the airport scanner it's uh yeah it's a great laugh because it's like <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> he definitely you know my wee boy definitely gave me that bit of light in a really dark time because even though I felt horrendous I I kind of felt like my life was over I'd look at him and think right come on you've got to you've got to get a grip you've got to try and find some sort of hope and light in this really dark situation and that wasn't easy that took me a long time um mm. I would say that probably at least a year because physically I was so unwell and I was in and out of hospital um so I'm about to get surgery number 14 so it's been quite full wow. on you know within three mm. years and I don't think I ever really that first year had time to think about my mental health because it was just constant doom and gloom it was just you know constant illness and Mm. you know just kind of grieving for what my life could have been and I had to get to that place physically that I felt strong enough to start to deal with my mental health and that definitely took that first year and you know one side I had to learn how to walk again and you know all the basics and once I'd done that and I started to be able to live a little bit more and get out the house and, you know, just silly little things like go to the shops myself. And, you know, that mm. sounds crazy, but I'll never forget. But know. that isn't a silly little thing. That's like basic functioning human, yeah. you know, that's an independence taken away. And that, totally. that in itself makes you feel like a sick person, which, yeah. you know, that is damaging to your mental health when you're like, yeah. oh my God, I can't even do this for myself. I, like, I can appreciate that is tough. Yeah, you feel like a failure. I think that's kind of, you feel like you should be doing these things and you get frustrated at yourself as to, well, why, why can't I do it? Even though you know that rational part of your brain is going, I know why you can't do it because you've got metastatic breast cancer mm-hmm. and your body's going through, you know, X, Y and Z of various different things. But then that other part of you is going, come on, you know, at that point I was 33 and, you know, why am I not able to, you know, take my son to school? Why am I not able to, you know, go for a walk around the block without, you know, gasping for breath? And it's slowly taken me time to actually go, right, stop, wait a minute. Let's look at this big picture 
And actually, you're doing all right and you're doing your best. And that, you know, it's as simple as that. You know, you we have to every day just do the best that we can because there's days that you're up, there's days that you're down, there's days you're in the middle. And you've got to stop beating yourself up about it. And, that's and it's almost a surrender, isn't it? It's a surrender yeah. into whatever you're feeling at that time. Like we all, I have days where, you know, I just in life where I'm sat there, especially with the year we've had, yeah. and I'll have a to-do list as long as me arm. And I'll be like, right, tomorrow I'm getting <laughs> up, I'm going to the gym, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And then I wake up in the morning, I'm absolutely exhausted. I've had a terrible night's sleep. My head's in a really bad way. And actually, I think it's from coming from having mental health um, struggles and having to learn, unlearn loads of societal pressures about your mental health that you can just snap out of it because you can't. It can. And almost surrendering and going, do you know what? Today, rather than forcing myself and sitting in front of a screen and not nourishing myself, I'm going to get out into nature. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a sleep. I'm going to try and move my body and I'm going to eat the food I need to eat. And 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 almost like tomorrow will be a different day. Totally. Um, what what kind of coping mechanisms have you found has really, really helped you? I think uh, I was always into um, things like Reiki. I was always into alternative mm. therapies before I was diagnosed with cancer. And I think that's probably linked to the mental health issues that I'd had, mm -hmm. you know, throughout my teenage years. I'd found that Reiki was something that really helped me to just realign and to refocus. And it, it did make me feel good. Um so when I was diagnosed, I, I definitely delved more into Reiki. I've um, looked at things like breath work. I am just mm. obsessed with breath work. Oh, it's mate. so simple, isn't it? Like, it's so simple, but it's intense, dude. I've yeah. done one session and um, I haven't done it again just because it was so intense oh. the first time. Um, but just, but, but just emotionally, I have to be in the right place to do it because yeah. a lot comes out. Do you want to explain to our listeners exactly what breathwork is? Because there might be some people like, what? Yeah, <laughs> what no, totally. Because like, I, I was like that. I was like, eh, you know, what, what mm. breathwork? But it, breathwork is all about the power of the breath and actually learning how to breathe properly, which sounds mental because we all breathe every day. But actually, when you do breathwork and you focus on the rhythm of your breathing um so like taking for example like a long breath then holding it and then breathing back out and what that can do to your kind of levels and you know just your kind of state of mind it's really really intense and it for me it's really helped to relax and to get over that anxiety and it's something that I I suppose have a bit like my toolkit now and if I'm having a day that I feel overwhelmed or if I'm out and I can maybe feel a bit of a panic attack coming on I can kind of tap into that and I can just right take a step back Lisa you know focus on your breathing and help to get myself out of those negative situations and you can take it to a whole other level I mean I now do breath work that will go into like meditation at the end and you know I just find that really quite therapeutic um because I do I, I do believe that it's doing something and I you know again it's personal you know some people don't find this helpful at all it's just mm -hmm. something that I have found that really works for me and I think that's so key when it comes to your mental health that there's no right or wrong you know, we can sit here and we can talk about what's right for me, but that might not be right for you, might not be right mm -hmm. for the next person. And 
again, I think you've just got to accept that do what makes you feel good. And I've definitely found that things like the breath work, the Reiki, I've got back into singing in my house, which, mm. you know, I lo- I used to love singing and I really lost my mojo when it came to Have you singing. got a good voice? So you were a shower singer that's like, whoa, I'm uh, giving it to me. Oh, man. I, I can sing. Do you know, like, I used to do musical theatre. Like, okay, darling. You know, like, I showbiz, can, baby. Yeah, showbiz. Bit of, you know, a bit of showbiz. But it's something that just makes me feel brilliant. And I, when I was diagnosed, I never thought that I would sing again. I never thought I'd get back on stage. Haven't got back on stage yet that's still a bit of a mental you know kind of block for me um because I have lost a lot of confidence since mm-hmm. being diagnosed and I think that's pretty much because I see cancer's got a checklist and it's almost like it's gone right okay I've taken your hair I've taken your eyelashes mm-hmm. you know, I've taken away your femininity I've taken away your ovaries and it's like it's stripped everything back off me and I kind of feel mm-hmm. like I'm slowly piecing that back together um yeah. I don't think I'll ever be Lisa before cancer mm. because this has changed me as a person mm. and I've learned to accept that now I think there's a really important point there what you said I think I think the struggle that we all go through no matter what cancer you're diagnosed with is that moment you hear the word cancer it changes your entire existence there from that point on and I think a lot of the problem we have is one that we try and aim to get back to the person we were before to do the things we did before you know um, enjoy the things we enjoyed before hang out with the same people we did before and do the job we did before and so many of us which is so I think is the most normal thing I don't think there's one person I've ever met who's been diagnosed with cancer who is the same, has the same life, has the same friendships. Like things all are removed with you because it just alters your your being in your state. And I think a massive part of the mental health process of a cancer diagnosis is accepting that. And that is a really hard thing to yeah. accept. I feel like, you know, you're three and a half years down the line since diagnosis. I'm four and a bit years down the line yeah. since my diagnosis. And it has taken me, I'd say it's only really been the last couple of years or year and a half that I've gone... Right, so this doesn't fit anymore. So I'm going to stop pushing this and I'm going to accept that this isn't for me. This friendship group isn't for me. This way of living isn't for me. You know, this maybe these kinds of exercises don't really suit me anymore yep. or, you know, and it is a and it is a bereavement. Don't you agree? Like there's a there's oh, an element of grief. Absolutely. You know, I, I always talk about the old Lisa, like it's not me. You know, it's like mm. I'm grieving for as you say, that girl that, you know, I I used to be, I can say, oh, I used to be this, I used to be that. But I've had to learn to accept that I'm not that anymore. And it's even things like, as you say, friendship groups, I found that really difficult. That's changed, which has impacted my mental health as well, because people that perhaps I thought would step up and be there they haven't but then there's been other people that have come into my life who have really been a great you know friends or support and that's really difficult because you're just that you're a navigating this new journey of living either with cancer you know whether it's metastatic or whether it's primary I think cancer if you've had any stage of cancer impacts your life and in ways that it's hard to explain I think Mm. but 
on this journey, I think I've just had to almost put in a box that old Lisa and say, you know, I had some great times, but that's not me anymore and that's all right. Mm -hmm. And I'm a different version of Lisa now, but I'm a version that is strong and, you know, is living with cancer. And Mm. I kind of have to, I do feel now that I could say I am proud of where I've come, Mm. you know, whereas a year ago, I wouldn't have said that. I would have, you know, even doing something like this a year ago, I just couldn't have because mentally Mm. I wasn't in the right place to talk so openly and, Mm. People say, you know, but you, you're so open and honest about your journey. I'm like, yeah, but that that's me. That's taken me time. So don't look at me and think, oh, God, you know, I'm not able to do that or I'm not able to talk about it, you know, or I can't tell my friends. You've got to do what's right for you. Exactly. You know, it's it sounds really basic, but... It is. But it is that coming back. It is that coming back to yourself and really aligning um, with what sits right with you. And as I said before, you know, I I talk about cancer all the time. Yeah. A lot of people are like, oh no, you, they'd never know. But it's, some of us, that's that's a natural way of us coping. For me, yep. it was a catharsis to talk about my disease and almost a sense of control. Yes. I guess. Um, and you know, I find it really interesting in terms of how we manage our mental health now having, you know, both have had the, there's a lot of mirrors here, Lisa, yeah, um, both having had the in, endo, um, both having mental health struggles in our younger years. Um, and then having gone through a cancer diagnosis that we've kind of gone down these really quite holistic and spiritual routes mm-hmm. to reconnect. Um, because I do feel like, you know, when you have a cancer diagnosis, you are on another vibration. I think if you yeah. go through any kind of trauma that brings you as close to your mortality as you ever want to get in your human life, in your in your lifetime, that, that it does shift something and you are operating on a kind of a different vibration to someone who maybe doesn't know what that experience is yeah. like so you find things to align with it and it does tend to be spiritual and holistic for a lot of people but um what about in terms of traditional psychological supports so mm-hmm. like talking therapies and like support groups and you know we know um we've got this great resource um we're talking about today and, and like how easy have you found it a- to access these things um and have you given these things a go as well have you have you given everything a go again it's taken time when I was first diagnosed, the word support group sent the fear of God into me because I just had the, these connotations of, you know, everyone's going to be sitting there looking like we're about to die and talking about death. And that, to me, just wasn't a place that I wanted to go or I, I didn't have the strength to go. And, you know, my nurses and everything were all amazing and we're signposting, you know, the right places, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, um, my local kind of Maggie Centre, for example. But I just felt, I can't do that. I, I just wasn't in the right headspace to take myself off to one of these groups. And again, I remember the first day I kind of felt, right, I'm going to do this. And it's almost like I'd psyched myself up. And I went to a group that was a living with group. And mm-hmm. I found it hard as a metastatic patient because obviously there was a lot of talk about remission. There was a lot of talk about moving on. And that isn't my reality in terms of remission. Um, and I did find that, again, mentally really hard 
to process because selfishly, I was never going to experience that. So mm-hmm. I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with the whole support thing. Um, and again, it's just taken time. It's taken time for me to find what works for me. And eventually I did get the confidence to go to one-to-one, um, which I found easier. I just, you know, I found the whole, hi, my name is Lisa and I've got cancer, just wasn't really for me in terms of a group setting but having one-to-one I've found really beneficial um Mm -hmm. I still do that now um it's something that my husband and I have done together because it impacts him as well as it impacts me um so that's something that we've taken time to you know kind of carve out for ourselves as going and speaking to um a counsellor um which we both find quite helpful and again, I have gone now down the psychological route because I've had a lot that's happened in the last three and a half years. It's not... Just a little bit, love. Just, just a wee a bit, thing. you know, just a couple, a couple of things, you know, and they have been hard to deal with. Do you know, God's like losing the ability to have more children, having cancer, mm. you know, having brain surgery twice, you know, like, it's like this again this checklist of destruction and how the heck are you supposed to deal with that let's be honest you know we're we're we might come across as these feisty strong women you know and there's that persona you know that people will listen to you know podcasts or you know watch you on instagram and think oh yeah they're dead strong they're dead positive but we're only human yeah you know and i i need that support to help me to be this kind of positive in my everyday life and you know I'm not gonna lie and say yes I am superhuman and you know this is Mm. like because I'm not you know I have really really rubbish days and you know again I've had to go down the professional route to talk about it and but it's taken time um and I'm not ashamed to admit that and I don't think it's something that people should be embarrassed about you know if you don't feel that you can go to support groups because it's just not your bag. That's cool, you know. I do think as well, something really key in what you've just said there about, you know, people from the outside see us as feisty women or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I am. I am a feisty. I'm quite an alpha female. But at the same time, I think strength comes from vulnerability and you have to be incredibly let yourself be incredibly vulnerable at times to be able to accept, learn, grow. You almost have to break a bit, you know, or bend. And that's definitely something a cancer diagnosis enforces on you. Yeah. Um, and I think that was really poignant, actually, the way you've just said that is like, you know, people like to put labels on us, be like, you're so brave and you're so strong and you're so inspirational. Oh. And it's like, I don't feel like that. I just, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's like, oh, great. So I like for me, it's like I've survived really harsh treatments yep. and a cancer diagnosis. Do I feel brave? At times, yeah, I do. At times, no, I don't. Yeah, Like, you know, and it's just like, it's almost becomes evangelical when you've had a cancer diagnosis. You become put on this pedestal. You and do. it's like, you know what? Just because I've had cancer doesn't mean I can't be a bit of an idiot. Yeah, Doesn't totally. make you immune for being a bit of a wally. <laughs> no. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. You know, it's, it's that whole word inspirational. And, you know, yeah. I find that it's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because yeah. I, it's same as you, like you've taken your diagnosis and, you know, you've, turns it on its head and you've done something really incredible with girl versus cancer you know Mm -hmm. and you've become 
uh, figure of positivity, you know, and, you know, without sounding really cheesy, like a figure of hope for women that are mm. getting diagnosed now, you know, and they're looking mm. at you and going, what well, oh, do you know, I can actually get through this and, you know, I can turn it on its head and, you know, I, I get, I've done a bit similar with Make Seconds Count. Mm, and, yeah. But that's been our way of coping. You know, we've taken something really negative and we've channeled it in, you know, to setting up. And I'm not saying everybody has to go out and set no. up a charity, guys, you know, because yeah, actually, that, it's a lot of work. It's mental. <laughs> it's like, you know, there are days that I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? But mm, then you yeah. look at how it's impacting other folk. And, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, it, I definitely get that sense of comfort that, you know, if one person reaches out and, you know, has been helped by the existence of Make Seconds Count or has, you know, gone and checked themselves or has realised that actually the symptoms of secondary breast cancer mm. don't need to be a lump or, you know, and it's mm. increased that overall awareness, then do you know what? That's like a big pat on the back and a big tick, isn't it? And that yeah. we do it to help other folk, but I think we do it to help ourselves as well. hundred percent. I was going to say, like, how has Make Seconds Count helped your mental health since diagnosis? Because I know for me, girl, I still always say to my mum and my brother now, they would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be in bed, you know, like in the yeah. throes of like, Sweat. whatever, like chemo or steroids or something, you know, just whatever... I was up all night for yeah. uh, anxiety. Um, and I'd be sat there on my laptop at like 2, 3 a.m. <laughs> and my mum and my brother would be like, Lauren, shut your laptop, go to sleep. And I'd be like, I, listen, I need to channel this energy somewhere. I need to put it somewhere. Like, yeah. So I'd be writing like blog posts or like planning, you know, T-shirt collections yeah. or send an email scheduled to send the next day or designing my website, like crazy stuff. And I said <laughs> to them, I'm like, guys, if I'd have put that laptop down, I wouldn't be where I am now. And actually, those nights where I couldn't sleep, where my brain was going to places I didn't want it to go to, it was such a refreshing thing to be able to put channel that energy elsewhere. And I always say that girl versus cancer is the result of a, it was a massive distraction technique and a catharsis for me and a control. Never in a million years expected it to go on and do the things it's done and I hope will continue to do. So was it exactly, is that similar ring true for you in terms of making seconds count? Bang on. Absolutely bang on. Like it, it started off as, you know, this way to channel my energy into doing something good and to raise you know raising awareness for me was such a key focus and then when I found out about the imbalance in terms of research that Mm -hmm. really was like a bee in my bonnet Mm. because it almost felt like oh so we're not worth you know as much and that that was a really horrible feeling you know because you're Mm. feeling down anyway and it has I mean it's just it's something that has become such a support to me as well you know and I'm still a patient ultimately Mm. and it's allowed me to meet lots of other people within the metastatic breast cancer community which you know as you know the cancer community is incredible and it really is I mean I would have been same as you like you know up at night wired to the moon can't sleep Mm. and if it wasn't for that community that was online at two and three in the morning and yeah you know I I don't know I think I'd be in a a really dark place and Mm. you know they've and they still do these people continue to give me the drive to keep doing what I'm doing we make Mm. tickets count because you see how it's starting to benefit 
other people and then they reach out and, you know, they say, oh, well, you know, I feel better because I've attended this support session that we've run because we do this thing called mm. Tina Chat, um, mm. which basically starts yeah, I love that. that, like, I'm Scottish and we'll have a cup of tea and, you know, like... And well, we'll you like, know I'm of Irish ancestry, mate. I'm Irish, you know, it's exactly yeah, the same. Well, yeah, well, yeah, like you like a cup of tea with something in it, you know. Right. Yes. <laughs> just, IV, just IV the tea into my veins and everything will be right with the world again. That's totally. how it works. But it, do you know, it's that simple that, like, mm. just having that a bit and obviously because we've been in lockdown and not been able to meet in person and but in a way it's been a good thing because it's brought together folk from all over the UK you know we've got a um, girl from Wales at Jaw you know so it's like yeah we've just built this community and you know that makes me so happy that people feel they've got a safe space that they can rant we don't always talk about cancer I mean you know people probably would listen into the conversations and think you are a bit screwed up you know <laughs> because you do you with the way we mm. talk is mm. it's a way that we can't talk to other people no one well you don't get it no do you know what I mean they don't. people won't and you don't want them to either no, though, God no. do you know what I mean um, you don't want them to understand what that feels like, but that, I get that again. It's why the community has such a massive um, impact on mental health. In that you felt seen and heard, and not yeah. alone and not yeah. isolated. Because you know, it's, it's this whole cancer thing comes Ugh. with a very special set of uh, yeah. triggers, yeah. realities. You know, I'm I'm someone who um, now lives life cancer free. I'm touching wood. As I say yeah, that. I'm touching it for you. Thank you, darling. <laughs> Um, so even for me, I can understand in some capacity a lot mm. of things, but there's a whole other side of the coin that I don't know and I wouldn't yeah. know. Yeah. So you need people in in your kind of crew who yeah. get it, but also you need people who have got kind of a same way of speaking as you and yeah. thinking as you and stuff. You know, it's no good saying you know like oh you've you've you guys have both got metastatic cancer, you'll get on. It's like yeah. well, no, no, because you've got to find your tribe. Got to, um, you've got. So to. I think it's brilliant, yeah, that you've done what you've done with make seconds count and been able to kind of hone in on those people who are like have that like kind of. I'm like, yeah, I've got it, but it's not all that I am. Yeah, and let's yeah. talk about real talk. We had to get all the other day, and you know, I think she hit it on that. She'd just been diagnosed, and she joins mm. our kind of private um, group that we've mm. got on Facebook. And you know, she put up a post quite upset, or understandably, mm. because she'd just been diagnosed. And she just posted again this morning just saying, like, thank you all so much. You know, like, I just don't feel alone anymore. Mm. You know, I've mm. I've read all your posts and to see you, you know, so many of you living life. And mm. I think that's the thing. It's like when you're first diagnosed, you don't ever see yourself getting to the point that you can live life again. And it is a different life. It's a very mm. different life, you know, and it's a life that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. But you can start to find a bit of life again. And I, I was blethering to a girl in the ward um, the other week and they laugh now because I'm one of the old timers or the lifers <laughs> as we call ourselves on the ward. And uh, there was a new girl and I was chatting away to her and uh, she was like, Did you, do you find joy in life? And I was like, do you know, I do now. And that's taken time to find that joy again. And mm. I get joy out of different things now. And Make Seconds Count is definitely something that I get joy out of and mm. a sense of pride. And do you know, I remember like 
when I was not long diagnosed and looking at like one of the shoots you did with Girl mm. versus Cancer, mm. looking at all you guys and thinking, oh my God, it's like, I, how can they do that? They're so brave to like be there again, mm. photo shoots on and like, you know, that still actually makes me feel physically sick. I thought of doing something like that. Really? Uh-huh, yeah. Like that just is like, and that to me is so weird because I'm somebody that could, before I got diagnosed, get up and, you know, tap dance on a stage to th- mm. a couple of thousand folk and not think, you know, wearing like a sparkly brand knickers and think nothing mm. of it. But now that because cancer mentally has put me in such a difficult place in terms of body image and you know, I I do get, you know, treated with um, help for body dysmorphia because mm. it has literally, you know, as I kind of said earlier, it's kind of stripped away yeah, so get, much yeah. of me physically. Mm. And, you know, it's like, you know, you you lose weight, you put on weight, you're fatigued, mm. you're, you've got so many. I mean, I've got scars mm. <laughs> everywhere, Yeah, you know, and that. But to look at what you guys did and... That still does drive me because I think, do you know what? Like maybe one day I will get to that stage that I feel like mm. I could do something like mm. that. And but I don't. You've got to learn to not pressure yourself to do that. Yeah, you yeah, because exactly. I think there mm-hmm. can be that danger, can't there? Of like, yeah. because a lot of us are quite out there on social media, and it can do mm. so much positive. Yeah, but on the swing of it, we've got to not put ourselves under pressure and compare and Mm. you know that's again something that is a really difficult thing to navigate isn't it how are you finding it with those closest to you like are you able to express clearly to your friends and your family when you're struggling what you need from them or you know because you seem to be really attuned to what you need for your to do for yourself how is it with other people with my family it's the Mm. hardest thing it Mm. I can talk more openly and easily with somebody on Instagram that I have never met in person Mm. than I can with my husband or my mum or my dad and I think it's almost like I want to protect them Mm. from it because I think in a sense it's actually even though I'm the one that's physically going through the treatment Mm. and but they're going through with me you know like every time I'm not feeling well or you know they've they've got to watch that they are the ones that well I've been you know in the land of nod in an operating theater you know none the wiser they're the ones that have been pacing the corridors you know waiting to hear Mm -hmm. if I've come round, if you know if things have gone well Mm -hmm. you know that for them I think is so hard and I do struggle to really open up about mm. it. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why my husband and I, you know, we like go and speak to somebody to help us mm. navigate it because we try for our wee boy and it's, mm. again, it's our way of dealing with mm. it. You know, that this is not saying that this is the right way to deal with it, but it is for us that we don't sit our wee boy down and kind of really dwell on the whole cancer thing we we try and normalize things as much as we can and obviously cancer has become normal for him sadly because he's experienced this you know since he was four um but that is something that I find hard to kind of 
open up in the house because I don't want him to see me upset. I don't want him to see me ill. And that's been something that's been really difficult during lockdown. Mm. You know, if I've had those days that, you know, maybe mm. mid-cycle, you're feeling absolutely mm. whacked, yeah. can't get out of bed. Mm. When he's been, when he was at school, pre-lockdown it was so much easier because mm. I had my routine I could have my nap during the day while he was at school you know like and then he'd come home and I could be in mummy mode yeah it's been harder because he's been around all the time obviously and it that's been really difficult for me because mm. you know he's you can't shield aware, I can't shield yeah. you know and it's like you know with anyone not even I don't even think you need to be, you know, a mum. It's with your dad, with your, you know, those closest to you, like with my best friend who is like my sister and has been there through everything, you know, like from like, you know, being a teenager and my goodness, the stories we've got, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, like we've gone through this whole life journey together and then this has thrown a spanner into her life as well because she's been beside me she's well it's kind of like a bit of a ritual before every surgery she comes and she puts my surgical stockings on for me (laughs) like she's a nurse so she's she gets into the water you know so it's like those are the people that I struggle to talk to Mm. you know and I think it's because I'm so aware of what it's doing to them and they don't want me to see them upset Mm. so they clam up Mm -hmm. you know and then I don't want them to see me upset so I clam up and that's definitely and still is the hardest part of this do you you think there's something around it as well where you know naturally your loved ones are going to want to fix it yeah and actually sometimes you just need to be sad you just need to be scared you just need to be in what you're feeling in that moment and with the cancer community we tend to let up each other do that because we get it whereas your automatic reaction I do my mum does it even now over anything I'll be having a really miserable day and she just tries to solve it and she's like but you're angry at me I'm like I'm not angry at you I'm just angry at the world I'm just raising my voice on the phone not to you yeah but she's always trying to fix it because that's what mummies do that's what your best mate does they make it better so it does make it that little bit more difficult doesn't it because what you don't want you just want them to listen but you know because they love you and care on the level they do they can never just listen without wanting to help I know so it is hard it's so hard and I mean I see it with my dad is a very tough strong-willed Scotsman that you know doesn't show his emotions Mm. and to see him how he's not dealing with my diagnosis and Mm. it's taken him a long time to stop saying but they'll fix you you'll get better Mm. I'm not Mm. going to get better you know and that's been hard for him but I have got better in the sense that I've learned to live with mm. it and yeah you know and live well with it Lisa yeah. it's not just like it's not just you're existing with this disease it's no. like you're living a life and totally. yeah it has its impacts but again it's separating you from the disease and going this is it's like it's the same as you know if you broke a bone and it healed a certain way but it's always going to be a bit different yeah. or you know you have diabetes or a heart condition like you live with it yeah. There's just something around the stigma of cancer where people find it really struggle to get the concept of living with something long term. Yeah, I think because we don't look like the stereotype, mm. you know, it's like people 
expect us. Yes, I've been the stereotype. I've lost all my hair. I've, you know, I've been there. But because I don't look like that anymore, you know, folk almost expect you not to have cancer. You know, it's mm. like, and that for my family, I think is quite difficult as well because they have found with their friends that, you know, they've lost people because they've distanced themselves because mm. they've not known what to say. And I find that really difficult because I'd like to think that if I had friends and family in this situation and, mm. you know, that I would just treat them like normal, you know, I, I just want people to be like, hey, how you doing? I want them, you know, still to take the mickey out of me. I want my friends to have banter with me, mm. you know, but having cancer changes that dynamic. And I, I think you can waste a lot of energy being angry about that. And I've definitely been through that stage of being angry and, you know, resentful. And whereas now, you know, I I just think it's a wasted emotion now because, yeah. you know, yeah, there's people that I would have liked to have been there through this journey that I thought would have. But then there's folk like my family who are still here and we just have to learn as a family how to navigate this and we have to learn how to be open with each other and mm. I don't think there's going to there's a quick fix to that you know it's something mm. that you've got to almost lift the stigma a bit and I think especially with like my mum and dad who you know obviously a different generation and you know like god when I first started talking about my journey you know, my dad was like what are you doing you know like why are you telling people about this because it's just not what his generation did you know they, they just kept everything into themselves and they struggled with the fact I was being so open about it. And when the charity was launched, there was a lot of local press around it. And you can imagine mm -hmm. the headline and the pictures, you you know, they wanted the the cancer shot, you know, the if I saw the, you know, phrase terminal mum, you know, and it, that was really difficult for them. I hate that term. Oh, it's I really awful, do. It's awful, isn't it? It's, yeah, because it, it just makes you feel like end of. And actually, yeah. you And know, we're not terminal, we're incurable. You're incurable. So basically, it's like you could live with this yeah. for another 60, 70, 80 yeah. odd years. And I plant it. But, <laughs> exactly. And that's the way, like, that is the way it needs to be seen. I mean, yeah. look at my Deb. On yeah, the podcast. Oh, like she's, she's defying, like, she's, she's defying gravity. I mean, like, yeah, she's like that. She's a bionic woman. <laughs> she's a bionic woman, but it's that whole thing of you know really changing what people think that cancer is, looks like, and what it is. And like yeah. we know all too well, you know, there is another side to the coin. And unfortunately, we do lose too many people still to diseases. Yeah, we do. However. We, there is a massive ray of hope. There is so many advancements. We, we, yeah. there are so many people walking around in your offices, yeah. your co-workers, family members that you would never know, not have a clue, live long term with yeah. breast cancer. Look at um, and, like yeah. Chris, um, Helenga. I mean, Chris yeah. is, you know, she's. Um, we've you ten know, years now, eleven. Ten or eleven. Yeah, she's years, coming up it? twelve now. I think like she's, you know, we've kind of become quite pally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just through this weird life that we live. And, mm. you know, she's doing amazing. And there's, I was mm. speaking to somebody online the other night who's 17 years down the line, you know, and yes, yes you're right. There are still far too many people that, mm. you know, are not surviving this. And yeah. that does need to change. 
but and it sounds really harsh you Mm. have to learn to focus on your own diagnosis yes I agree and I think things like what you're doing Lisa so important for that reason because I absolutely stand by the saying you can't be what you can't see and when you're diagnosed with a cancer diagnosis but it be primary or metastatic but even more so I think metastatic you need to see your future you need to see the people 25 years in you need to see those people because if you don't see those people you can't imagine it and then it's this weight of the world so the the work that you do with make seconds count is so vital not just in terms of raising refund um, research money and like you know making sure that metastatic breast cancer is always on the table in terms of discussion is and is remembered but the 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 metastatic um the make seconds counting that you do is also providing such a massive you know ray of hope and support and understanding that people can see themselves in the future and Mm. I think that that is something that you know is invaluable so I just wanted to say thank you for that and Mm. I don't think you probably realize the impact that that has I don't think you do though. You know I think mean? like when you're involved in something and you probably mm. find out with um, girls versus cancer, you don't actually realize what impact it's having because you're so mm. involved mm. in it and you don't actually ever step back, do you? Because you're just, nah. I think you're a bit and like, then you're, like, you're just oh like, next, God. next, yeah, next, yeah. you know, like, what am I doing next? And yeah. I mean, we've just taken on another team member and Claire's got secondary breast cancer and I'm very mm. proud of that because mm. it's like not only yeah. are we like doing this work but now we've also employed a lovely beautiful Claire who mm. is live she's five years down the line with SBC mm-hmm. you know and she's now working full-time for us do you know and that yeah. is you know again it's just showing that folk with secondary breast cancer can live a relatively full, 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 full happy life. life. You know, and yeah. it's, I know lots of folk that work with it, and now I know mm. lots of folk that don't because mm. you know that. Yeah, yeah that's not they're that's feeling fit not, enough. They're to not do feeling it, yeah. fit enough, and again, give yourself a break if you don't. You know, feel like you know people go, oh God, but how do you manage to go out all the time? I'm like, you might see one photo on Instagram that's I me out right. for two hours, <laughs> then I come home and I'm in my kit for five hours because yeah. I'm knackered. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But people only see certain things and they think exactly. they know. You all know, like don't. It's all smoking mirrors, smoke guys. Mirrors, don't worry. Totally. You see a slither. Um, now I could sit and talk to you all day long. Oh, me mate, too, no mate. Surprise. <laughs> Absolutely loving this conversation, and I feel like you know. I feel the listeners will get a lot. I've got taken a lot from this myself. I feel like I just want to get off it and be like, yeah, man, <laughs> my mental health's in a good spot. Good. But what advice, well, before we leave you, I'd like to find out from you, like what advice would you give to someone who is diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer and is struggling to manage their mental health? Like what advice would you give them? I think the biggest advice is don't suffer alone. Mm-hmm. There are lots of things out there. There's lots of places out there, there's lots of people out there that you can talk to. Living with metastatic disease is difficult and don't make it any harder on yourself than it needs to be. There is no shame in asking for help. Mm. There's nothing to be embarrassed about and it took me a long time to get over that embarrassment and feeling like I was a failure. So if I could, you know, hold somebody's hands when they were first diagnosed and say, do you know what, you've got this, you know, there's no shame in saying that I can't cope, I need help. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it it is okay not to be okay. That's Mm -hmm. my biggest 
kind of mantra and strap line when it comes to this mm. you know whole aspect of mental health is it is okay not to be okay and mm. reach out don't sit there and yeah. suffer alone that's what I think is so important as well like you know, it is knowing that you can be feeling a certain way, but just know that there is support out there in so many capacities, not just like with the resource we're talking about, my broadcast companion, you know, there's so many, so many outlets for you um, and to find the help. So just don't be backwards and coming forwards. Like make sure that someone knows, even if it's just a friend, because you're, you're suffering in silence and, and, you know, you could be finding a way out of the dark, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, life of metastatic disease doesn't need to be darkness. You know, there can be a bit of light, there can be some shades of grey. Yeah. But you're not going to find that suffering alone. And I'm just hope that people listening to this will realise that it's Mm. all right to talk about your mental Mm. health. um, Yeah. And just to lose that taboo and that shame that can Mm. be associated with it because, Mm -hmm. you know, they're... um, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Absolutely zero. And I guess what, Lisa, if all else fails, you know, do a bit of breath work, breathe deep. Exactly. And have a sing song because it sing. makes us feel happy. Have a sing, get your chakras going. You know? Yeah, babe. <laughs> to get them crystals on the windowsill, charge oh, them in yes. the moon. A bit of rose, <laughs> bit of rose quartz and you're laughing. Love a bit of rose quartz. I know. I, I know. What are we like? My mum's always like, what are you doing? I'm like, charging my crystal. She's like, oh God. Oh no, um, my husband's whatever like, whatever it takes. What are you doing? He's like, you're going for that hocus pocus. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it takes, honey, whatever it Absolutely. takes. Absolutely. Darling, thank you so, so, so much for taking the time to speak with me today and around this subject matter that is so important. Um, As we said, it's a challenging subject, but things that we often don't talk about when we should be. So thank you for being so candid, so honest and so open. It's been an absolute joy. Um, And if people want to find you and make seconds count, where can they find you? They can find us on Instagram, on Facebook. On Twitter, we're just at Make Seconds Count, um, or you can look me up at Secondary Breast Cancer and me um, if you want to ping me and chat about anything mental health. I am more than happy to have a natter. Thanks so much again for joining us today, Lisa. And thank you to everyone who was tuned in. You can hear more from me and other metastatic breast cancer babes in the next episode. You can also listen to more episodes on the Furthermore website, furthermore.life and all of your usual podcast places. If you know someone that you think would benefit from this series, please do not hesitate to let them know about it and share your feedback on Instagram using hashtag mybroadcast. And until then, thank you so much and goodbye. This podcast is brought to you by ASI Europe Limited.